1: Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson. As we head into our second hour, our phone number is 602 508 There's a lot I want to do with you here. We'll get to uh, the Democratic Party and an interesting essay on it in just a moment. Uh, two other quick pieces of business. Uh, several of you have asked uh, what, uh, what progress or if there's any update on something i was talking about with you about a month or so ago which was uh what 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 uh, what i witnessed and what i want to uh concern myself and ourselves as best you're interested in with regarding um what's known as um the homeless problem in Arizona particularly uh the new area known as Tent City uh it's also called the zone it's this uh it's this dilapidated and, uh, quite honestly, uh, emblem of totem of social uh, destruction that sits on several city blocks here in Phoenix around Ninth uh, Avenue and uh, have not given up. I'm, uh, I have uh, doubled down on research and uh, with the help of some friends uh, putting together some of the best minds on this that we can. I think we will be able to solve that worst part of it, that in extremist situation, which is where I think it needs to really begin. I was listening to um, Adam Carolla in uh, in a discussion with the actor Jeremy Piven the other day. Bill, did you catch that discussion? You did. And I don't know how they got onto the homeless situation, and it doesn't quite matter uh, Jeremy knew he was outmanned and outgunned when he tried to talk about it. I remember, and Adam knows a lot about it. He just does. He spent a lot of time, obviously, in L.A., but also more importantly, talking to and reading uh, the experts like Michael Schellenberger and other candidates for office, who and scholars in the area who have been. It's it's something that consumes him too. I don't. It's interesting that it. I have, I have the same passion about it that he does, and it's not. It doesn't sound like, uh, to me, anything he's had direct relationship with any more than (coughs) – excuse me, I have. I don't know anyone who's been in that situation. I don't think he does either. But the point he was making is an interesting one based on what Jeremy Piven said. Jeremy – I have the name right, Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven said, well, you know, you look at the homeless and, you know, they just have nothing. They have nothing with which to get a job. You know, they don't even have the basics. Couldn't we just get them – a P.O. box. You can't do a job interview without an address. I mean, the basic stuff. And Adam cut him off or let him make his point and then cut off the point by saying, this is our concern. This is our problem. We have misnamed the problem homeless. Right. Bill, fix me or help me if I get any of this wrong. But I listened to it a couple times. I thought it was really insightful. The labeling matters. And he says, we've mislabeled it homeless. We say homeless and people immediately think about someone who was evicted from their house or their apartment, couldn't make rent, couldn't make mortgage over the course of several months, fell on hard times, uh, a tragedy happened to them, got fired from their work in a down economy where they couldn't find uh, you know equal work or work that they were able to perform – That's not what we're talking about. Yes, that exists. That is not the in extremis. That is not what we're talking about on Ninth Avenue. That's not what we're talking about in L.A. It's not what we're talking about in Seattle. It's not what we're talking about in San Francisco. And Adam said, and thus, when we call it this homeless and think of it in those terms, we think the answer is building affordable housing again. That is a part of it. It's not what we're talking about. When you, see, when you see the videos of these rampages by, quote, unquote, homeless boys, typically it's homeless boys, uh, when, 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 when they do the smash and grabs or when they carjack or when they beat up a passerby in the street or several of them beat up several passersby in the streets, we're not talking about the guy who lost his job last month and is doing his best to make ends meet. We're not talking about the guy who fell on hard times. We're talking about severe addiction and additional mental incapacity. We're talking about mental disease and, and, and more likely than not addiction. That's what we're talking about. The last thing Among the last things probably, but certainly the last thing any of these people were talking about in this category want is a P.O. box, never mind the need for a fixed address. They would rather, as Adam puts it, and I agree, and again, they're in a mentally disturbed state, so I'm not assigning a tremendous amount of blame here at all. They're in a they're in a compromised state, either an addicted mind or a mentally uh, unstable or disturbed uh, mind. Uh, They they don't want to be housed. There are plenty of homeless shelters and there are plenty of churches and there are plenty of other uh, religious institutions that are more than willing. And no doubt, you know, you would have a family member or a friend who could put you up on the couch or in the spare room if they have such a thing, right? This is not of interest to this population we're talking about. Homelessness is not their main problem. Their main problem is a is a mental health and addiction. They would prefer they would prefer to get a fix than to have their situations fixed. That's what severe addiction and mental disturbance does. And so, I was thinking about it as I was obviously talking a lot about the um, about the um, Arizona Republic in the last hour. There's another piece in the Arizona Republic. Well, the Arizona Republic I was talking about in the last hour is online. It'll be in print. It just came out this morning. But the, uh, the print edition of the Arizona Republic has a piece, The Unsheltered Need Our Help to Beat the Summer Heat Crisis. And it's obviously something you have to think about and your heart bleeds for. Obviously, when you think about – the unsheltered. But that phrase isn't going to do it either. We need to find a phrase of the problem we're talking about. So this is, this says, you know, give them water, um, try and help uh, if you can financially with a shelter uh, or a shelter type organization. Again, that's not what the people were talking about if you go on that visit to the zone that they want or, they, or that they need. And um, they want drugs, and that's their per- per- perceived need. They want a quick fix. That, to them, is their solution. And that's the problem that we all are going to have to face and tackle, and it brings with it a lot of tough discussions. As we were talking about with uh, with uh, Dr. Coleman yesterday with regard to the problem of addiction, and as we were talking tour about how the problem of addiction can go hand in hand, of course, with the problem of violence. You're not in your right state of mind. You're not in your right state of mind. Uh, so yes, they need, of course, uh, water, but they need a lot more than that. And it's going to have to engage certain examinations that we've been uncomfortable uh, engaging in up until now. Uh, it's going to have to be a discussion that centers around whether the person who is in the midst or in the grip of a psychotic breakdown or psychosis is actually in the best position to a judge, whether they are a threat to themselves or others. And it brings an additional problem as one of my dear friends points out, because we are going to have to rely on an industry that has in continually um, endowed apologized for and pacified those conditions, normalized them, if you will, give you the example of the New York subway signage. If They have signs now for heroin addicts. If you have a heroin problem, don't be ashamed. And it gives you the access points to safe heroin use where you can go to use heroin safely and they will give you clean needles. It's like what giving bank robbers twenty um, twos instead of thirty twos? I suppose. I suppose. I suppose. Or maybe thirty uh, eights instead of forty fours. Maybe. Maybe we could do that. We can do this all day long. You get you get the point. But nicotine. They have hats on nicotine that are shameful to pe- that are shaming of people. That are. It's another version of what C.S. Lewis was talking about that I quoted in the first hour. The modern use of fashions in education is to train people on the lesser of the dangers that exist and focus on that. Anyway, when you read homeless or when you read unsheltered, as you might if you read the paper today, keep in mind, yeah, that problem, sure. We're a wealthy enough country if we fix ourselves on it, with some willpower to deal with that but there's a whole other category a whole other category that is raising shall we say not just lost men but maybe maybe in some cases totally lost generations and families lost to things we once knew how to prevent all right anyway that's one thing i wanted to get out of the way we'll get to the democrats when we come back we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Portions of it are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. I love these guys, Chris Funk and the team. They're great. A plus rating with the BBB. Never a complaint, not one, to the ROC. I've used them several times. All my friends who have needed air conditioning or plumbing problems have used them as well. It's a great company. You will realize they just do customer service and the technology different there at cool touch great company 24/7 available to you check them out at cooltouchac.com or give them a call at 623 223 8957 623 223 8957 or cooltouchac.com uh, Bethany Mandel put this up From Rasmussen, a recent poll from Rasmussen, this is kind of interesting about where the mindset of the media and the left is and what they want the narratives to be as compared and contrasted to where Americans are today, where the rest of Americans are. Now, you think at some point if the media wants or the corporate media or the for profit media wants to stay in business, they might try and align themselves with what their potential or extant readership would want. Although I also have to tell you, by the same token, you look at a lot of these failing and falling medias that are losing subscriptions uh, by the month, if not the year. I I, I don't know. They may be doing what the Democratic Party is doing, just saying we don't care. Our intoxication with ideology is more important. So Rasmussen has the issues, top issues, uh, to midterm voters, to midterm voters, U.S. likely voters, rising gas prices, inflation, the economy, violent crime, election integrity, school issues, abortion rights, elect- election cheating, and illegal immigration. And yes, some of those do combine, but you get the sense. You get the sense. For in- So, for example, I mean, election integrity and election cheating might be the same thing, but these are top, top ten issues, if not top five issues, for most people in the American electorate, likely voters. What are the top stories and the polling results of the le- legacy media's top midterm issues? What are they covering? What are they covering? Yeah, you like that, huh, Bill? Here it is climate change, war in the Ukraine, the Capitol riot investigation, as they would call it, right? COVID-19 and LGBTQ issues. The LGBTQ thing is going to be a really interesting cultural moment going forward. Um, The more I read in it, the more I read, the more I am seeing people in part of that, Part, it's not really an acronym in that it doesn't spell its own thing, but part of that acronym, part of that part of acronym, LGBTQ issues, is they don't match up. They're not all in the same. You can't put this all in the same. A lot of LGs don't like the T and Q agenda. And I can appreciate in many respects why I, I, I can appreciate it. The 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 LG Uh, The LG community, the lesbian and and gay community, have for years argued for the acceptance of that life or lifestyle, however you want to describe it. Um, The normalization of it as being, you know, not inherently wrong, not inherently bad, not inherently anything anyone can do anything about but the way we're born. That is their argument. Which society has mostly embraced. Mostly embraced. Now comes the TQ side of this, and they're saying, no, no, if you don't like who you are, if you don't like who you are, and if your um if, you're, if, if if your body and brain don't agree, you can change your body. You should be theoretically. If you if you feel ashamed of who you are, we can change it. We can change it. Whereas for decades the LG has been saying, no, no, accept it, embrace it, and live with it. And I can see where this fight is coming from, and I understand it. And it's going to be interesting because I think at the end of the day, if we're going to end the TQ madness. And I guess that's probably a good phrase for it, the TQ madness. Yeah, it's going to have to come from some of the kinds of thinking and scholarship we do here, like what Lior Sapir wrote in City Journal or the kinds of stuff you're seeing from writers like that. Bethany Mandel would be another one of them. I mean, there's a a number of them who have risen on the scene. But I think a lot of it is going to come from the Andrew Sullivans and Jonathan Rauch's too. The act, the, the the veteran activists, thinkers, and writers in the LG community. Um, and um, anyway, it, it's it's interesting to watch. The only reason I'm mentioning it is this is the fifth most important issue to the media, the fifth most important issue in the media. When the fifth most important issue to the likely voter is election integrity or possibly violent crime. Those things are within margin of error of competing for each other. The top issue for the media, climate change. Top issue for Americans, gas prices. Now think about that conflict for a moment. Think about how those two things collide. You are going to have rising concern about rising gas prices, the more you double down on the concern over climate change. You hear it from John Kerry. You hear it from Pete Buttigieg, who doubled down on it himself again today. Something interesting and worth keeping your mind on. I do want to talk about a piece Jim Garrity wrote about the Democrats and why they won't wake up, and it's related to where the media is. He starts by quoting a current issue, excuse me, a current article in The Economist magazine, and it goes something like this. Fringe and sometimes dotty ideas have crept into Democratic rhetoric, peaking in the feverish summer of 2020 with a movement to defund the police, abolish immigration enforcement, shun capitalism, relabel women as birthing people and inject anti-racism into the classroom. If the Democrats are defined by their most extreme and least popular ideas, they will be handing a winning agenda of culture war grievance to an opposition party. The Democrats have begun to put this right, The Economist continues, but they lack urgency. That may be because some of them blame their problems on others, as when the White House points to Putin's price hike or the negativity of Republican politicians and the conservative media. Although there is is something to this, the party also needs to ditch cherished myth that empowers idealists. That's The Economist. Okay, that's The Economist. Jim Garrity writes, I'd love to see an American political culture characterized by sane, centrist Democrats arguing with a sane, conservative Republican. But out of all the possible times for the leaders of the party and its centrist members to embrace a fight with their hard left grassroots, probably four months before Election Day is just about the worst time. The question is, can it be done at all? And that's what we'll attempt to answer when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by my friends at YRefi. InvestYRefi.com is their website. If you are looking for a really unique investment opportunity, they are offering a fixed, no load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent for investors in a secure collateralized portfolio. These are investors doing really well by doing good for others, helping them dig and pay off their dig out of and pay off their debts. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and if you're interested, eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. That's eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. Or as I say, invest whyrefi.com. Jim Garrity is writing about the Democrats fixing themselves or being able to fix themselves. And maybe, as he points out, contra, or contrary to the advice of the economists, maybe, maybe a few months before a major election isn't the time to engage in that, uh, right before, you know, a f- four months before Election Day. But right now, He said the reason it's not, if you're a Democrat, is and this is a message for all of us, actually, as we go into our own political battle and debates, especially when it comes to the general election, which, as far as I'm concerned, uh, can't come soon enough. The Democrats need progressives, the Bernie bros, the squad fans, your crazy aunt Edna with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg prayer candles. They need them to turn out in November. They're disappointed enough with Joe Biden already. So, the future of senators like Raphael Warnock of Georgia, or Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada, or Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, or Mark Kelly here depends upon frustrated and impatient progressives in those states. Let me pause and do a call back to my monologue from yesterday. If you missed it, everything's available that I do at 960thepatriot.com. It's free. You can access yesterday's monologue if you want, which was about this new effort called Republicans for Mark Kelly. Okay, given everything I said, the one thing I didn't say I said a lot. (laughs) It might have been one of my longest monologues. It may have been. But anyway, I said a lot yesterday about Republicans for Mark Kelly. But understand this point, those tempted to buy into that fraud. Understand this. Mark Kelly's survival depends upon progressives. Okay. do you want to be a Republican depending on progressives? Just think that one through for you, for yourselves. Second, rebuking the fringe left is going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, and few people embrace difficult until what? Until they hit rock bottom. Nobody likes admitting they got something wrong. Nobody in politics wants to admit that their approach didn't work, and they usually don't do it until they've hit a really high price at the ballot box. The disappointing results of the last go-around were clearly not enough. Shortly after the election, some of you may remember this, Representative Abigail Spanberger of Virginia Seethed about her party's left wing. In fact, if you didn't live in Virginia, it might be the only way you ever heard of Congresswoman Spanberger. She said Tuesday was a failure. It was not a success. If we don't mean defund the police, we shouldn't say defund the police. And we need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism again, because while people think it doesn't matter, it does. And we lost good members because it because of it. If we are classifying Tuesday as a success from the congressional standpoint, we will get, you know what word I can't say, torn apart in 2022. Close quote. Do the Democrats seem more centrist and results focused now than they did two years ago? Do they? We can debate whether Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Bernie Sanders actually have a lot of influence over what passes in Congress, but they still get covered as if they do. They are still members of Congress who embrace defund the police. Unsurprisingly, they spend a lot of time and money on personal private security as they're telling everyone else to defund the police. The Biden White House keeps using the term. I don't even know how to say it anymore. Latinx or Latinx, L-A-T-I-N-X. I don't even know how to say it. The Biden White House keeps using the term Latinx. The assistant secretary of HHS just went on MSNBC to argue that there should be no limits on teenagers ability to obtain gender affirmation treatment, by by the way, misuse of language again, inversion of language, gender affirming treatment is not gender affirming; it's gender changing. Just like marching patriotically and peaceably is 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 inciting is inciting insurrection. Okay, just keep all that in mind. The Democrats and their allies continue to attack. Republican candidates who are from a minority ethnicity or background. It doesn't seem like there is a more moderate and central or centrist path for the Democratic Party. They're doubling down on all this stuff. Why is a congresswoman being arrested at an illegal protest pretending to be in handcuffs, pretending to be in handcuffs because they think that's a good image for them? Boy, I think they are so wrong. And we will reap those benefits if we don't screw up the opportunity they are handing us. We have that potential, too. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It is a delight and privilege to bring back to the show my friend and candidate for Arizona Secretary of State, Shauna Bollock. Shauna, welcome back. Uh, How are you, kiddo? How's it going?
2: Hey, it's Groundhog Day, Seth. You know, um, yeah. I, couldn't, I, I think today's been going wonderfully. I had a chance to meet some guys over at the American Legion for lunch and talk about all sorts of fun issues. And now I get to come back on your show, which I love coming on your show. So thank you for having me back on.
1: Well, I love having you in our state legislature, but I'm going to love even more having you in our Secretary of State's office. A lot of people don't realize... That um, when they look at other states that have something like a lieutenant governor, uh, our lieutenant governor, for all intents and purposes, is the secretary of state. Uh, that is that is who takes over in extremists or in the absence of our governor. And that's why I can think of no one also more qualified for the position as you. But I was just reading to the audience, Shauna. I was just reading to the audience a Rasmussen poll of likely voters. Election integrity still being one of the top concerns, top five, maybe even higher depending on the state. And I think it might even be higher here. You have been on this case since long before the 2020 election. You have been on this since 2018. And I'm wondering if you might uh, just describe a little bit of uh, what you have been doing in the state legislature on this and what you think still needs to be done to ensure that we have one man, one woman, one vote in this state. One
2: legal vote. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as you mentioned, you know, Arizona Secretary of State is also our state's de facto lieutenant governor. As you know, I actually worked for a lieutenant governor. His name was Rick Perry back in the late 90s. So I sort of have an idea of what a lieutenant governor is supposed to do. Uh Obviously, Arizona and Texas are totally different when it comes to um, the roles of secretary of state and lieutenant governor. Uh, I want to make sure that all legal votes are counted. I want to be able to work with the 15 counties. I have pushed forth a plan to restore election integrity. I have a whole roadmap on my website, which is BolickforArizona.com. And, you know, I actually have been working in this space for a lot longer than 2018. I did a little canvassing um, probably for a decade prior. And I got to tell you, our voter rolls are an absolute mess. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably the only candidate who will come on your program and say I want to be sued when I'm your next <laughs> Secretary of State. And I've actually talked to a lot of our Republican Attorney General candidates, and they're all willing to sue me. So we all understand that the best way to get clean voter rolls is probably go to the court. Our county election offices are not doing the best job they possibly could be doing. And the money flows from, you know, the federal government through the secretary of state offices into our election offices. So I want to make sure that only legal votes are counted. And when I do go on the road, I constantly hear about people getting a lot of ballots mailed to them to people who may have lived at the residency you know, more than a decade ago or their kids moved. That's the one I Uh, see.
1: The people who left a long time ago and still getting it. Yeah, that's the one I see. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And it's it's insane to think that we can't clean up the voter rolls. And to my my, uh, best knowledge, it seems like that would be an easy solution. Uh, Getting a legal ID on all ballots, that will be on the November election. Thankfully, we were able to refer that uh, SDR 1012 over to the November 2022 ballot uh, in November. So treating all ballots, whether you vote in person or you vote by mail, you will have to prove you are who you are with your last four digits of your Social Security number, your state's voter registration ID or your date of birth. And, you know, there's no reason why when you walk into the polling place, your vote should not count any differently uh, than whenever you vote by mail.
1: Shauna Bullock is our guest. I, I, I have lo- I have known Shauna and loved her for a very, very long time. Um, I want to get to issues having to do with conservatism in just a moment, Shauna, so people who don't know you can kind of understand the furniture of your mind and soul. But on election integrity, we have with us um, on the ballot uh, this this initiative, Arizonans for Voter ID Act, as well. The four principles, improve existing in-person voter ID requirements, requiring voter ID on mail ballots, preventing ballot harvesting by enhancing voter ID requirements, providing a free voter ID option to lawfully registered Arizona voters who need it for voting. Those are the principles, right? That that, These are the the, add to it or or subtract. But this is basically what we're talking about, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Basically, you're making sure that the information that's on your ID matches your signature so it can be validated. Uh, This referral obviously uh, is very good. The Democrats hate it so much they decide to go out and put something else on to counter it they want their hr1 into our Arizona constitution but putting Arizona for voter id on there is something that over 80 percent of all voters agree with doesn't matter what your political aff- affiliation is uh you know when you walk into a polling place people are supposed to show their id and i can tell you when i was uh, a first voter back in Pennsylvania I walked into the polling place with my mom in my elementary school where I went to school, and at the time, I walked up to the table with my mother. My godmother was actually one of the poll workers, and they're flipping through the, the printed-out poll book. They could not find my name anywhere. And over at the other table, there was a guy sitting there. He says, what was her name again? Uh-huh. And I said, Sonalee Matthews. Well, my mom at that point realized I was a registered Republican. Uh, my godmother was freaking out probably as well. I'm a black sheep in my family. I'm very proud of the fact <laughs> that I've been conservative for a very long time. Mm. And, it's, you know, I, I wish we could get back to those days where you're voting at a small precinct. Um, you're using something that's not electronic poll books and you're using hard copies of information. People seem to want to get back to the basics. And I think if we had smaller precincts and not these big voting centers that we kind of ha- have inherited from California, I think people might build some confidence back in to their votes going to be actually counted correctly. But who knows?
1: Well, you know, I love this idea that you want to be sued. And I assume that the reason well you tell us, but I'm assuming that has to do with the fact that you're going to go in, clean house and bring. And if people want to sue, bring it on. You don't care. You're willing to be sued over it.
2: Correct. And I also want to stand in the way of the federal government trying to take over our elections. So, you know, there's many angles of why I want to be sued. I, I want people to understand that I'm a no nonsense person. You know, most of the reporters in town know that I run a very quite ship over at the house yep. committee and raise and memes. Yep. And I'm going to take the same leadership style to the Secretary of State's offer.
1: That's what I know. That's part of the things I know you uh, for. No nonsense. You had mentioned just in that uh, in the second to last answer there, Shauna, you had mentioned, you know, as a lifelong conservative. I'm finding the audience more and more likes it when I ask candidates what makes them a conservative. What's their what's their conservative? What's what what constitutes the furniture of their conservative mind and soul? How, how are you and why are you a conservative? I, I don't know if I've ever directly asked you that on air i will tell you this uh when i first asked um when you first ran for state legislature and i was talking to sal de about your candidacy he said shauna she's a game changer anyway <laughs> you want it you want to talk a little bit about your conservatism and where it comes from
2: sure so i as a college student i really again i grew up in a democratic household so i'm the black sheep in my family no
1: i have that and you I and, have and i have three. that in common you bet
2: yeah So I did a lot of reading. My fellow legislators will tell you that I do tons of reading before and after we vote on bills. And I came across when I was in college this book by one of your former bosses, uh, Bill Bennett. And the title was The Value of America, The Fight for Our Culture and Our Children. And at that point, I started researching all the stuff that was in the book. I was in college when school choice was just really starting with the advent of charter schools. I had no idea what my husband-to-be was doing at the time. I obviously ended up meeting him several years later in the school choice movement. But so many of the things that I felt um, in my close principles were stuff that I was reading in the GOP party platform. And I was a college Republican. I, at about age 19, 20, I took my meager savings account that I had set set aside and I went down to Washington, D.C. in the summer of 1995 and volunteered for the Republican Party. I loved what Newt Gingrich was standing for with Contract for America, and I just wanted to be part of it. And when I got back to campus, I went to talk to my advisor about stuff, and we were trying to figure out what my plan was because I was probably going to graduate a year early, and I ended up just doing a bunch of internships uh, to keep myself sort of grounded in New York. And, you know, working in a New York City public high school Back in 1997, I decided at that point that was probably when I decided I was going to spend most of my adult life fighting for kids and, and a better education. For all kids, I wanted to make sure that the zip code was not defining who they were. And when I was in graduate school, I had a chance to work for my then U.S. Senator Rick Santorum, since I'm from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I worked for the only Republican, really. Um from the U.S. Senate at that time, but I also spent time at the Heritage Foundation. There you go. And I, I loved everything that they stood for, limited government, fiscal responsibility. You know, I, I believe in strong public safety. I think that's why government exists. I don't like taxes, obviously. That's why they put me in this chair of ways, and Means. they knew I wasn't going to hear any tax increase bills. Um, and I single-handedly killed the gas tax increase last year. So, God, love you. Um, That's great. And, and I loved voting on the universal ESA bill. That was my favorite bill in my four years that I had a chance to vote for. Obviously, I loved voting um, to, to re- reduce our state income tax. I wish it was a zero, but it didn't get to zero. But, you know, my time and um, resources at, at the legislature, it's been a true honor serving down there. I could have stuck around for a few more years. But when I was sued in 2020 by the Democrats uh, to, to kick me off the ballot, that that's what actually kickstarted me to want to decide to go and make sure that we had someone solid, someone who wasn't going to be uh, politicizing in the secretary of state's office. I think you can keep your conservative principles in that position um, and you need to make sure that you bring people on board that have a really good um, customer service oriented personality to help them get through their, their voter registration issues that they might be having to business registrations. Sure. And, you know, during COVID, I, I had a lot of constituents asking me to help them with all those issues because the Secretary of State's office was closed and they weren't answering the phone.
1: Bam. Shauna Bullock, my candidate for Secretary of State. Fantastic. Bullockforarizona.com or at Bullock for Arizona. Godspeed and God bless, Shauna Bullock. Thanks for spending some time with us. Go get them. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Don't go away. We got Hugh Hallman in the house. We're going to get into some pretty uh, deep and interesting stuff about the uh, politics of our time, but also the philosophy of our time. And uh, if uh, willing, uh, if he's willing, we'll get into things like how do you know what to believe? How do you know what to trust? Portions of this show brought to you by Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. Take it every day for health, immunity energy all natural 100 percent balance of nature.com make sure to use discount code balance hugh hallman right up next
0: three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells